0: You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Tara, thank you so much. We are so excited about the Gospel Project, the kids getting the notebooks, and we're just encouraged you're going to see some connection to what Tara taught from uh, Zechariah 9 and this beautiful picture of the humility of Jesus. But welcome and good morning. Thank you for being with us in worship. Every January for the past few decades, I've received an email from a core group of men who oversee a national retreat. The retreat is designed as more of an inreach for building up men in their faith. And so it's a golf retreat. It takes place in the summer four-day event, and every January, an email comes in, and I'm anticipating it with the hope that I'll once again be invited to be the retreat speaker. And so what's really cool about this invitation is I don't have to pray about it. I don't have to talk to Ellen about it. I don't have to think about it, folks, why? I've already pre-answered if the email comes in. I'm in, all in, count me in, yes, I'm going. Why? Because it's an exceptional time together with men. Men who have traveled together this journey of life for over three decades. And it is a spectacular time of fellowship, food, golf, etc. We come to a text this morning that I have called the great invitation. How will you respond? Oh, and I hope with all my heart, just like I respond uh, joyously to the gulf retreat as a yes, that you will respond to God's great invitation to be a part of his kingdom. And you know what's neat about this invitation? It's throughout all of scripture. We're going to see that today. It starts really in the book of Genesis where God chooses uh, an individual named Abram. And he says, Abram, all nations, all people will be blessed through you and your seed, meaning Jesus. In other words, God invites blessing in your life if we say yes to his invitation. We looked at this invitation a few weeks ago as an application point when we talked about the Sabbath, where Jesus said, Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you spiritual rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest, spiritual rest, for your soul. And so again, the encouragement today, the great invitation, how will you respond? I hope you have your Bibles. Please turn to Luke chapter 14. Folks, we have 24 verses to cover in about 25, 30 minutes. So we're going to move through the Bible, and I trust you're going to see some beautiful things about God's kingdom. Now, we always encourage you to download uh, the resources. There is a sermon outline, and there's going to be some new components in this talk today, and I want to encourage you to take the notes. But I always like to start out with the blessing, and so the blessing is this, and it's such a beautiful truth, because God invites all people to be a part of his kingdom. We must respond favorably. And so this morning, I want to share with you four responses from these 24 verses, and I hope will be uh, an encouragement and a challenge for you to enter the kingdom. And so response number one, come valued because God offers redemption through Jesus Christ. And before we dive into the first six verses, I want to set the stage for Luke 14, Jesus is being invited to a meal, but it's a special kind of meal in the ancient world. It's a meal that the Romans, Greeks, and yes, even the people of God in Israel participated in. It's called a symposium meal. And so what would happen is an individual in the community who typically had higher status would invite a guest speaker, if you will, someone who would be there at that meal to teach, to instruct, to be the man of wisdom. So Jesus is that person. He's being invited by a Pharisee, a leader of the Pharisees. But there are many other prestigious people at that meal as well as we're going to see. And so we come to a passage where uh, the invitation is given. Jesus says, yes, but then the invitation expands to all people. And so Join with me as we look at Luke 14, 1 through 6. One Sabbath, Luke says, when Jesus went to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him closely. We've seen that before. There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silence. He took the man, healed him, and sent him away. And to them he said, Which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? To this they could find no answer. You know what's interesting about the Gospel of Luke? I've said this before, but Jesus is either going to a meal, eating a meal, or leaving a meal. So it's not unusual that Jesus, as teacher, rabbi, would be invited to the symposium meal. Here's what's unusual about this text, folks. Please don't miss it. There was another individual invited. And the sad thing is, he was invited with a pretense to use this individual. You see, this man had a disease. And in the ancient world today, it's called dropsy. And that made him unclean. That made him, according to the law of Moses, impure. He should not have been at that meal. But he is invited to be a part of this meal, to be a tool or a pawn in the hands of the religious experts, the Pharisees and those who wanted to watch and trap Jesus. And so what do we learn? We learn quickly that this really isn't about Sabbath. Although Jesus beautifully instructs once again, Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath is a gift. You know what this passage illustrates? It speaks to the heart of the Pharisees. Folks, their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were calloused. They didn't value this man with dropsy like Jesus valued him, as we'll see. They devalued him. He was unclean, and so they would ostracize him. They had no heart of compassion. Think about the ancient world, which pretty much was an agrarian society. Men made their living off the land primarily. So here's this man with a disease he couldn't work. Most likely he's relegated to begging. In a culture of honor and shame, he's shamed. And then he's brought into this prestigious environment with a leading Pharisee, with law experts, and very prestigious people, and he's put on the spot. But you know what's beautiful about this scenario? Jesus would have none of it, folks because the Bible says that he values all people. And Luke has been championing this idea that he values the broken, the lame, the blind, the maimed, the poor, the marginalized, the lepers, the prostitutes. He cares for all people and the religious leaders too. I remember years ago when I was working as a toolmaker, I had a friend that I was sharing the love and gospel of Christ with. And I'll never, ever forget what he told me. He says, Keith, I do not believe God could love me, that he values me, that he believes in me. Why? My life is too sinful. It's too dark. And in his opinion, too unclean. But we have a passage here that clearly demonstrates Jesus values all people. And let me show you what happens. Look at your Bible. Luke 14, verse 4. It's such a beautiful and powerful statement. So again, these leaders are trying to trick Jesus about his teaching on the Sabbath. And what does Jesus do? He says, yeah, the Sabbath was made for man. I'm going to bless this man. Look at Luke 14, verse 4. He, Jesus, took the man, healed him, and sent him away. Friends, that phrase, and sent him away, we've seen already before. This is Isaiah 61. This is the prophecy of the Messiah to come. This is Luke chapter 4, where Jesus is in Nazareth. He's declaring in his hometown that he is the Messiah. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And the key phrase here and to set people free. And so what happens is, this man who was a pawn in the religious expert's hands is being blessed. Christ is fulfilling his messianic mission. He is valuing this guy who was devalued. He heals him and sets him free. And so may I ask you this morning, do you feel valued by God through Jesus Christ? Do you see that he cares for all people? And friends, regardless of our past, where you've been, what you've done, your brokenness, regardless of your present, how sinful and dark your life is, Jesus wants to come in as Messiah. He wants to release. He wants to free. He wants to set us free like he did this man with dropsy. So what a blessing. So response number one, Come valued to this kingdom. Come valued in God's eyes through Jesus Christ. Response number two, come humble. Why? Because God exalts the meek and he exalts the lowly. Please look to your passage this morning. We have to track with Luke 14, 7 through 11. Beautiful teaching, a teaching that you see scattered throughout all of Scripture. Luke 14, 7, Jesus told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't recline at the best place because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, Give your place to this man and then in humiliation, you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and recline in the lowest place, so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the guests. And then the principle is being taught here and it's a powerful principle. For everyone who exalts himself, will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so here's this beautiful truth. There's an invitation to be a part of God's kingdom, and what is the precursor for entering the kingdom? It's humility. It's brokenness. And friends, what we have to do is we have to go back 2,000 years to understand the worldview of the day, In the first century, in Rome, Greece, Israel, in the ancient world, there was no concept or appreciation or value for the virtue of humility. It just didn't exist. And so what is happening at this prestigious meal, if you will, there is a jockeying for position. There is a climbing the ladder for prestige. There is trying to Create a place of prominence so you look good to others. And Jesus not only uh, confronts that idea, he confronts those, the guests, literally the guests, who are jockeying for position. Now, if you struggle to embrace that the idea of humility didn't exist, I do want to just give you a simple example. You don't need to turn there, but it's found in Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 37. These are two core guys of Jesus. He's been working with them, discipling them, mentoring them. They're known as apostles to be with him. So one day they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we have a request. Jesus says, okay, what is it? He says, they say, James and John, how about this? When you enter glory, when you enter your kingdom, can we, James and John, sit on your right hand and on your left hand? And in the ancient world, it's real simple. The right and left were the places of honor. This is what they were jockeying for. This is what Jesus confronts. A gentleman that I deeply respect, his name is John Dixon, and he wrote a book, and if you want to learn about humility in the ancient world, read Humilitas. What a tremendous book. I've learned so much about the worldview of the day and humility. But basically, John Dixon has studied all the ancient literature of that day, and he finds no record, no precedent, if you will, regarding humility in the ancient culture. In fact, when humility is written about in the ancient culture, it's written about derogatorily. How interesting. It's a negative virtue, not a positive virtue. And so what's happening here, Jesus is confronting the worldview. He's confronting culture. And he's saying, listen, the invitation's here to the kingdom of God, but you have to come on God's terms. You have to come humbly. You have to come broken. Now, Friends, Luke is very deliberate to develop this theme a few chapters later. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable. And the parable is very simple. Two men are going up to worship, to the temple, if you will. One's a Pharisee, how interesting. The other is a tax collector. Think of the contrast. The tax collector is a sinner. He's marginalized, he's ostracized. There's no value in the Pharisee's eyes towards the tax collector. So here's a story, a parable. Both men are coming to worship. The Pharisee looks towards heaven. And boy, he is so thankful for his spiritual credentials. And he says, God, thank you that that I have a spiritual pedigree, that I'm a Jew, a man of the book, and I keep the law, including the Sabbath. Then he looks over to the tax collector, and he says, more than anything, thank you that I'm not like that wretched sinner. And then in contrast, Jesus said, Here's the tax collector. His head is bowed literally before heaven. He won't even look up. He's beating his chest. He's broken. And he cries out to God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Folks, that is a remarkable statement. He understood it. He understood what it meant to enter the kingdom of God through brokenness, through humility, through the low way. And Jesus said, who do you think is justified in God's eyes? Who is uh, accepted? Not the prideful, religious, prestigious, climbing the ladder, Pharisee, but the broken sinner. He comes the way of the cross. And again, we have an invitation here to be a part of God's kingdom. And what is the invitation? That the precursor for entering the kingdom of God is brokenness. Humility, brokenness over your sin, coming the way of the cross. Someone said this about humility. All it simply means is being smaller. And if you struggle again with this concept, can I take you to Philippians chapter 2, verse 8? Here's what it says about Jesus. This is the gospel. It says that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You know what God the Father did? Then God exalted him, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Folks, humility is at the heart of the gospel. The gospel begins with recognizing we're sinners separated from God and we have to be broken over our sin. And just like this tax collector, we have to bow in reverence, we have to beat our chest, we have to cry out to God in mercy, and when we do, he accepts us. And so the invitation is given. How do we come? We don't come prestigious. We don't come vying for position. We don't come climbing the ladder before people. We come broken and humble before our great God and Savior. I love Tara's devotion because she looked to Zechariah chapter 9. Think about the humility of Jesus again. He's riding a donkey. This is God, the second person of the Trinity. He's riding a lowly donkey into the city of Jerusalem. That is the gospel. Jesus humbled himself, and we have to uh, follow in his footsteps to enter his kingdom. And so it's beautiful, folks. Response number one, God values us. So come, experiencing his value, wanting to redeem you. But come humbly. Why? He exalts the lowly. He exalts the broken. Response number three, come bankrupt. Because God's banquet is free. And when I think about bankruptcy, I think about spiritual bankruptcy. We come without our credentials. We come knowing that his gift that he offers, this banquet table that he sets, is given freely. Track with me, Luke 14, verses 12 through 14. Jesus also said to the one who had invited him. So now we started with Jesus talking to the host, then he went to his guests, and now we're back to the host. When you give a lunch or a dinner, You don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. Why? Here's the reason. They might invite you back, and notice, and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those, and notice the list here. This is so Lucan. This is so heart of God. The poor, the maimed the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Here's the reason why. Because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What's remarkable about that teaching, and boy, there's a lot of aha moments going on in this passage. But basically, Jesus, again, he's confronting the host. <laughs> this is a guy who invited Jesus, had greater expectations, but now he's put on the spot again. The first time he's put on the spot for a lack of compassion for the man with dropsy. Now he's put on the spot for what's called in the ancient world quid pro quo. In other words, his hospitality, bringing in these guests, including Jesus, had ulterior motives. It's not what I can give you ultimately, but in my giving, what I'm going to receive in return. That's what quid pro quo is. Simply stated, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. And so there is a hope that those who are invited to this prestigious meal, this feast, if you will, will one day pay back. And so the motives are scrambled. And what Jesus wants us to teach is God's kingdom is just the opposite. It's offered as a free gift. There's no quid pro quo. We've been in town a little over two years, and it seems like almost every other week, maybe not be that often, that Ellen and I receive an invitation from a prestigious steakhouse in our community. It's in the Jordan Creek area. It's called Fleming Steakhouse. You go online, it's a beautiful menu. I love a a filet mignon. It's got all the fixings. So on the front of the invitation, Dinner for two, for free, all the fixins, wine, steak, you name it. But here's what happens, folks. You turn over the invitation, and guess what? It's not free at all. This is quid pro quo. This is I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Come for the dinner, but you have to sit for a two-hour presentation to hear from a financial specialist to hopefully take your financial portfolio, turn it over to them, and let them care for it. In other words, it's advertising. There's nothing free about it. Now, I wondered what it would be like if Flemings just sent out a postcard that says, no strings attached, dinner for two, steak, wine, all the fixings. You turn the card over and it says, hope to see you. No quid pro quo. And here's what Jesus wants us to know about the kingdom of God. We come to the feast. We enter his kingdom knowing that it is a free gift. There's no strings attached. This is 2 Timothy or Titus 2.15, which says that not by our works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of the water and the renewal of the Holy Spirit by his word. And so, what a beautiful thing. It's what Paul learned, and he said in Philippians 3 he says, I take all my spiritual credentials and I count them as rubbish. They're no good. He realized that entrance into God's kingdom was a free gift. One of my favorite passages about this beautiful theme of come to the feast, come to the table because it's free, comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. We have established all along that Isaiah is the Messianic prophet. Listen to these beautiful verses. Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3. We read, Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters, and you, notice, without money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk, notice, without money. And without cost, why do you spend money on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Pay attention, come to me, listen, so that you may live. Friends, that is remarkable. It's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For we are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not of ourselves. It is a gift so that nobody will boast. And so think about this great host, God our Father. He's preparing his beautiful banquet. It is a spread beyond measure. The best of meats, the best of foods, the best of drinks. And he says it's all free. And so what a privilege. And so think it through right now, the progression of this meal. Initially, we're invited to come knowing that God cares for us, that God accepts us, that God values us, not like some of the religious leaders devalued people. And then how do we come, folks? We come humbly. We come broken. We come the way of the cross like Jesus did. He was humble. He was broken, riding on the donkey. And then how do we come? We come bankrupt. Why? We have no spiritual credentials like the Pharisee thought he did. We're empty like the tax collector. And then this is a remarkable closure to this passage. Response number four, we come immediately because God's great banquet is ready. Friends, this is spectacular how this passage closes. And so track with me, Luke 14, 15. We're going to look at this one verse just briefly and then unpack the rest of the chapter. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to Jesus, the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is blessed. Think about what's happening here. So the host invites Jesus, and we unpack that, the first six verses, and Jesus kind of confronts him, because of his lack of compassion and heart for the man with dropsy, for using this guy as a pawn or a puppet to prove a a theological point, if you will. Then he turns his attention to the guests. (laughs) He doesn't leave them off the hook for doing what? Vying for prestige and power and climbing the ladder, jockeying for position. He talks about humility. And then he goes back to the host. He says, stop the game of quid pro quo. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Why? God's feast is free. And then here, there's a gentleman in the audience who was invited to the meal, and I believe this with all my heart. He had a epiphany, a spiritual epiphany. He had an aha moment, and he says, oh my goodness, I finally get it. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, and what does he say? He says, bless is the individual who will eat bread in your kingdom. Jesus said, way to go. You finally got it. That's exactly what I'm inviting you into. Now notice, folks, as the passage transitions, it gets pretty challenging. Verse 16 and 17. And so he tells another parable, and don't miss this, To that man, he's specifically directing this to the individual who said, blessed is a person who eats bread in your kingdom. And he says, a man uh, was putting out a large banquet and he invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his slave, his servant, to tell those who were invited, come because everything is now ready. Let me try to paint a picture of what's going on in the ancient world. An invitation went out months previously, and the RSVP already came. And so they knew this banquet was ongoing. It was coming. And so the people who were pre-invited said, yes, we'll be there. Now what is going on in the, uh, the environment? The best of meats, the best of foods, the best of drinks, all being prepared and it would literally take days it was a huge investment of resources of time of energy people would be looking in the village watching wow something big is going on just imagine a wedding feast if you will and so the food's prepared the meats are ready the choices of wines are there and what happens he sends his servant out hey tell our guest Everything's ready, it's time to eat. It's time to celebrate, it's time to feast. But look at what happens, folks. It's a remarkable statement in Luke 14, 18. But this phrase captures my attention. Without exception, they all began to make excuses. Isn't that remarkable? They already RSVP, hey, count me in. But now it's one excuse after another. The meal is ready. The meat is cooked. The the fixings are there, and they decide to say no. Why do they say no? Well, let's take a look. Verse uh, 18, chapter 14, the first one said, I have bought a field, and I got to go check out my field. That's one of the lamest excuses going. Can you imagine? You got this feast, this celebration, this party, this wedding banquet, if you will, but I got to go tend to my field. Why couldn't you honor the feast and then tend to your field later? It's a lame excuse. But basically, it says this about the individual. His possessions were primary. I read some data today about Christian universities. Some surveys were taken. And one of the challenging pieces of data came from students who told their story. One of the questions was, as you pursue vocational ministry, what are the hurdles? What are the challenges? And here's what the survey discovered, that students, Christian students, were discouraged by family members. Why? Because in Christian ministry, you don't make uh, a good amount of money. That was the perception. And so they were discouraged. Possessions can strangle us, and that's what's happening here. He gives a lame excuse, I'm just going to go out and be with my land and feel good about it. The second excuse is this, verse 19. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to try them out. (laughs) Please excuse me. Again, five yoke of oxen, that suggests this guy's pretty wealthy in the ancient world. He could farm hundreds of acres. And so why would he have to go and just be with the oxen? Again, it's just nonsensical. And yet, could it be a preoccupation with work? Could it be a preoccupation with climbing the ladder? Could it be a preoccupation with success. We're not sure, but again, it doesn't make sense. Enjoy the feast, then take, uh, let your employment fall in place. And then finally, verse 20, another said, I just got married, and therefore I'm unable to come. And so three excuses. The third one relates to family, and as important as family is, it should be important. We're going to learn next week, folks, That when we say yes to God through Jesus Christ, when we say yes to his kingdom, there is a priority. He becomes our first love and all other loves pale in comparison. And yet here's the guy saying, oh man, I just got married. I got my first love. And he says, no. And so the sad thing is, in that culture, the host is shamed. He put on all kinds of time, energy. He had expectations that the guests would come. They would celebrate. Now he's shamed. What does he do? Let's take a look as we wrap up the passage. Verses 21 through 24. So the slave, the servant, came back, reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told the slave, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in the poor, maimed, blind, lame. Master, to slave said, what you ordered has been done, and there's still room. Then the master told the slave, go out into the highways and lanes and make them come in so that my house, my kingdom may be filled. For I tell you, no one of those men who were invited will enjoy my banquet. And so what happens here is, The invitation goes to the four corners of the earth. This is Luke's heart. It's a gospel for all people. This is Genesis 12. Through Abram's seed, Jesus, all nations, all people will be blessed. And so some said no. They made one excuse after another. They didn't realize the urgency of the message. But notice who says yes. It's the broken. It's the marginalized. It's the hurting. It's the poor. It's the lame. It's the blind. It's the maimed. It's a picture of what we've experienced in this banquet. The first response was come valued. Valued as broken people like the man with dropsy come humble. That's a list of people who had no prestige in that culture or society. They were humiliated already because of their blindness, their maimed, their lame, their poverty. And then, as we've already said, come bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. They had nothing to offer except themselves, and they came. What happened to the excuse makers? Number one, they didn't realize the urgency of the matter. The kingdom was available. The feast, the table was set, and they chose not to come. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. I want to close with a story about a remarkable 10-year-old girl. We'll put her picture on the screen. Her name is Tilly Smith. Picture this. It's 2004, and you're with your family in Taiwan on vacation. You're walking along the beach, and you notice something unusual. The tide is going out, but it's not coming in. Two weeks before going on vacation, Tilly, in a geography class, learned about tsunamis, watched a video on it. And she's thinking to herself, I saw this, I learned this, the tide's going out, it's not coming in. And she became frantic in her spirit. She started to share with her sister, and her sister began crying and became emotional. Then she started to tell her parents. Her parents didn't know what to do. Can you imagine a 10-year-old girl declaring that a tsunami is coming, and that's what she was doing. Finally, the whole family went back to the hotel. Dad couldn't get Tilly to stop. She is pressing in. She believes the tsunami's coming. The father finally goes to a security guard, tells the story. It got the security guard's attention. They went to the beach. They evacuated the beach. They went up to the high-rise in the hotel. Friends, the tsunami did come, as you well know. 230,000 people lost their lives in that tsunami. But as best they can discern, because of Tilly Smith and her urgent declaration, the tsunami is coming, no one on that specific beach lost their lives. Their lives were saved. Tilly's dad said to her, what happened, daughter? What would have happened if I didn't listen to you? Jesus wants us to know this message of his kingdom is absolutely urgent, folks. The feast is prepared. No more excuses, lame excuses, prioritizing other things, even if they're good things. But they should never be prioritized about the privilege to enter his feast, his kingdom, through the precious work of his son, Jesus Christ. And so God says, you're invited. Come valued regardless of your past and your uncleanness. Come humbly the way of the cross. That is the gospel. Jesus humbled himself. Come spiritually bankrupt. We have no spiritual credentials. But come immediately. Come today. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. If you're watching this morning, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, if you've never entered the kingdom of heaven, if you haven't accepted that invitation, today could be the day of your salvation. When I became a Christian over four decades ago, I called upon the name of the Lord and I was saved. I said, Father, I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus Christ died for me, paid the penalty for my sin. I humbly come. I confess. Thank you for your forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Thank you for accepting me as a broken person. Thank you for forgiving me past, present, and future sins and welcoming me into your kingdom. Friends, you can make that decision too. And I encourage you to do so today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this beautiful picture of the kingdom. We thank you for your invitation to come. And yes, it is urgent, Lord. So I pray for our audience today that your spirit would work in their hearts and they would come. They would cry out to you, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I ask this and pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together as uh, Baz and Kara lead us in a beautiful closing song.